Today is January 14th, 2024. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Chestakom Aki, or Dekots Nagotine Siku. Hi, my name is Red Thunderwoman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot, and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce my name in Satu Dene. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot and Dene elders and language keepers as I learn proper pronunciation. My Dene lineage uh, roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake tribe in Treaty 11. My people wore rabbit skin, so it's been uh, referred to as the land of the hare people. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Klincho Tene Indahe and Satu Dene, meaning many big dog town named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot, Malkinstis, as Michelle Elliott, an English name that has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post Status Card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. Through my father, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution, while having a Canadian Indian Act and Post Status Card. That is a colonial construct by Canadian policies meant to divide Indigenous peoples' inherent rights. Indigenous Two-Spirit and the Indigenous 2SLGBTQ community and Indigenous women are at the bottom of the Canadian socioeconomic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence, and land theft. According to the 2023 Quality of Life report from the Calgary Foundation, 31% of uh, racialized Calgarians cannot find suitable employment. You know, I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I do share my journey. As a Dene woman who has attempted to run, joined harmful colonial parties, spent money to be at expensive conventions, left my home to travel to those conventions, missing my granny's funeral, just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow for incarceration, a denial of justice, a denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples, I have worked to continue reports to advocate for an attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. I think of all of this today, and I hope we honor the many Indigenous lives lost for this so-called country named Canada. I hope you see your role in the importance of stopping harm as a citizen, see your role in reconciliation and as a treaty partner. Pride Month should never just be one month. It's important to understand that the straight agenda and gendered violence was and is forced on these lands by Christian outsiders. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as a guest, acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. And I just want to add uh, for my folks that listen to me all the time, if you don't understand what you're saying, you need to learn what you're saying. And I think it's really critical, especially now seeing that wound ripped right off, watching Canadians deal and navigate this Zionist agenda. Anyway, it's important your land acknowledgements have that meaning to acknowledge, to, I encourage everyone to introduce themselves with an acknowledgement of their ancestors, story of displacement, how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee, or other land displacement. So we as indigenous peoples know how safe you are to be around. You won't say your local indigenous nations names, won't say your pronouns, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, won't acknowledge imposed economic oppression or your role in reconciliation. I determine how safe you are to be around my community, my family, and myself. Understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101 because it immediately addresses colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken treaties, and lies taught today in Canadian schools nationally. That's why settlers and those who call themselves native Calgarians or whatever town you're from, you show me you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. Jesse Winty's book, Unreconciled, explains these concepts so perfectly as do many other Indigenous authored books. Land Back is a movement that could save the planet from ch climate change created by colonialism and capitalism and consumerism. But it would be a part of treaty partnership part of meaningful reconciliation and honoring global initiatives like the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. In other words, your racism is showing. <laughs> I'm speaking to you on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy, 
the Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet and the home of Lily Gladstone. And north of the border are the Siksika, Gainai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed on September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Good Stony, Chiniki, Bearspaw Nations of the Stony Nations, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you, previous donors, for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. Also, giving a review helps whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe, or you can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And I also do land acknowledgement teachings uh, with a background in geomatics for those interested. So today, uh, I'm really excited to bring in my friend, John. John, I'd let you introduce yourself in your way. Hi, I'm, my name is John Nishimura. I'm a, I consider myself a fourth generation Japanese Canadian, even though I'm split right down the middle with a British born mother. Uh, so I am definitely a settler of sorts. Um, I'm here to talk about my dad's past mainly and what he went through during the 1940s, early 40s to the mid 40s, as he was part of Japanese relocation, as they like to call it. Um he was lucky enough for logistics and technicalities not to go to an internment camp like many of his neighbors and friends and relatives. Uh, he went to a farm in southern Alberta in close to the Blood 148 Reserve, which is about a half an hour south well, that's a pretty big reserve, so I've been learning. Uh, the largest one in Canada, apparently. Western Canada, in Alberta, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he went to, a, like, the Welling, Alberta area. And they had to work on sugar beet farms, where I realized at age 13 that that was my nickname from then on when we learned about the Japanese-Canadian relocation. I was deemed sugar beet because my dad basically spent years five to ten on a sugar beet farm. Um, but as long before that, his parents and his grandparents had properties all over the lower mainland in Vancouver, which they had taken away from them and sold off at very low cost, along with my grandpa's fishing boats and their everything, basically, their vehicles, their, their housing. And I would imagine that property now is worth Quite a bit, even though it's near East Hastings, so it's not millions and millions of dollars. Although it might be if the Japanese could have remained there and yep. up kept the whole area, yeah, rather than seeing it deteriorate to the unfortunate people that reside there now in their tents. Um, so. My dad went through a lot, I would imagine. He didn't talk about his past very much. He was a grumpy old Japanese man. So to I speak. don't blame him. <laughs> no. <laughs> he, he rarely, he didn't talk about growing up whatsoever. Really? So, yeah. He didn't 
like he never mentioned working on the farm, even though he sold farm equipment later on for UFA. Mm. Ironically enough. And I'm sure because it was a liberal government that packed up all the Japanese people that I'm sure he was a conservative voter throughout his adulthood, just, you know, based on who kicked him out of his, his livelihood. And to be fair, it was uh, Brian Mulroney who ended up doing the apology. So that's yeah. another win for the conservative party. Yeah. And the big $20,000 allowance that they got each, which hardly makes up for the property. No. And, and that's just it. So I remember offline, we had a conversation. You were telling me he had three fishing boats. Yes. So three fishing boats and a property on Powell street in in Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. $20,000 that doesn't even like, that's nothing compared to, and, and then to lose all your possessions. Correct. It, you know, it was between, I've got three different addresses. The Powell Street, there was one, two residents on East Cordova Street, which is basically the same area, and on Alexander Street, which is adjacent to East Hastings and Powell Street. Mm. And it's all right around the Chinatown area, which is not it's not a great area of downtown vancouver oh but yeah chinatown is kind of a dirty place in in vancouver it was when i was living there in the 90s anyways so maybe it's improved it's not victoria's (laughs) victoria has a wonderful chinatown you know uh just a quick history that i know of calgary's chinatown um we wouldn't do garbage uh, garbage pickup or pave the roads until Ralph Klein was mayor because of the stigma against the Chinese. And um, so, and and that stigma against Chinese obviously is a national problem. And then we've seen it really ugly through COVID, but that bigger picture is that like, again, out of, you know, imposed poverty, um, imposed uh, infrastructure deficits, you know, that that is the truth of racism in Canada across the country when it comes to the Chinese. Toronto is the same way. Yeah. So like just to give folks who maybe are not from Canada or Canadians who obviously are told fucking lies in their Canadian education system, like that is the reality of Canada. We hated uh, the Chinese so much that just to give some background too. um, So I was born in 1977 in Calgary. And at that time, um, my mother was wanting to go back to work and they hired a Chinese nanny. And when I started to learn Chinese, they actually fired her because they didn't want me learning uh, Chinese. So like, that's how racist. So my Denny mom was like so racist against Chinese and my, my white father that um, it was okay for them to look after their baby, but God forbid I start learning about Chinese people, right? Yeah. So, um, and and shortly after that was when Ralph Klein became mayor and they started to actually do garbage pickup and pave the streets in Chinatown. So like, I just wanted to give that and, and the original Aboriginal Friendship Center was in the middle of Chinatown. So uh, when I came uh, to Calgary in the 90s, and I went to the Friendship Center, not a great experience at that time. But um, shortly after that, they had lost all their money somehow and had to sell that property and had to move out of town, Chinatown anyway. So, you know, it, it's just, uh, you know, it, it's a really sad reflection of what, um, you know, colonial policies can do to two individual groups. And and now back to the Japanese Um you know, I, I'm not really, I have never really paid attention to how they were integrated. Like, were the Japanese just close to Chinatown because they were more accepted there? Because like, I have a friend who was Japanese and he was not kind to, you know, like it, it, it was interesting. I had a, a Buddhist friend and he, he, um he was Chinese, actually. I don't know why I said that. And he said, uh, that he, his kids could marry whoever they wanted, except a Japanese guy. Like he, that, the hate was still really um, embedded in him. 
and I couldn't believe it because I thought this guy was all about peace and love. And then he'd bring up a Japanese person to him and he hated them. And I'm like, what the hell? But, you know, when you look at the history between Japan and and China, like I can understand that. So but when you come to Canada, what what is that integration like? That I I never had any problem with. I grew up with a few three or four Chinese kids when I was growing up and we all got along because I think we felt the camaraderie because we were the only Asian people around. Yeah. <laughs> like in elementary, I there was one other Japanese person, kid, and he actually ended up moving away that same grade year. Ah. So it was just back to me again. <laughs> It's funny that you bring up learning Chinese with a Chinese caretaker because when my uncle Stuart, who was born in 1953, when he started grade one, he was sent home with a note saying that he didn't speak English well enough. And he was, and my grandmother was supposed to teach him better English and of course she came straight from Japan she wasn't like the men on my dad in my dad's family that were all born in Canada from 19 or 1890s 1880s yeah his dad was born in 1885 so wow. it's so if it's even more generations we were here before confederation Mm-hmm. no i know we were we must have landed before confederation anyways if his dad was born in 1885 in vancouver but getting back to my uncle Stuart, my grandma went to the school and said well you're the teacher you teach him the english and you know he was born in 53 so that would have been close to 1960 and it was still happening um one of my scuba instructors so i i used to scuba dive and um one of my scuba dive instructors was uh, a chinese canadian and he was like he we didn't talk about racism much in scuba and uh, that's part of the reason why i had to walk away because we didn't talk about gendered violence or racism um more so because i had a kid but the bigger picture is that he was telling me that when he was in university, because his uh, primary language at home was still Chinese, even though he spoke like English with the with the accent of here, um, like you would never tell that was his second language or his first language. Um, they still made him in university take uh, an English course, and he was so offended that he worked really hard to try to find some kind of math English um you know course that would work and then they made him take that so he took it but he was really angry he was forced to take uh, an extra course just because of the way the system is set up uh barriers for folks who who don't identify as english as their primary language at home so it, it i just uh i get really offended by that too and um he's not much older than me like maybe five years so just to give you an idea of what how the university still treat um, you know, folks who, who might be of, you know, any descent for that matter, like it just, the racism here is so bad and the imposed English, uh, British belief system, you know, and, and we just read, so this is going up today in my podcast is the lessons in legitimacy. And this is literally about school education in BC. So like this directly talks about all of the things that you're talking about actually, um, and they talked about Indigenous and non-Indigenous kids um, b- being basically raised together and doing the uh, nationalism curriculum that the British had put together for them. So it's just so interesting to hear you say that. And it's like reading through this and what was happening at that time. And that book ends just exactly where your uncle was going back to school. So um, the author, we had him come in and we, he spoke uh, for for quite a bit of time and he he talked about that how there needs to be another book from the time he uh, the the time frame this stops to the time frame you're talking about up to today and um, 
of course, he's a, a huge uh, uh, prof for talking about uh, residential school denialism and how uh, and giving talking points against that because so many people out here are like, oh my God, blah, 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 blah. and they say some ignorant bullshit and then uh, him and a few other academics try to counter that. So I share his work quite a bit. So it was interesting reading this Lessons in Legitimacy because it was really talking about trying to build the nation in BC and, and making it a part of Canada, even though they're so, they were a British colony that was so distant from upper and lower Canada and from Britain. And literally they were going to Britain. They weren't going to Ottawa most of the time. <laughs> well, I never, I, I heard my dad would answer his parents in Japanese because that's pretty much all my grandparents taught. I could barely understand my grandmother. Sure. <laughs> Um, but the only time I actually heard my dad speak Japanese was when my grandma was laying on her deathbed in the 2011, oh. only three years, only three years before my dad passed away at, you know, 77. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she was, that's how resilient she was. She was fighting right till the end. Good for her. We, we joked about her and when she was laying in the hospice that she she was gonna lie there until she was a hundred just to spite everybody. <laughs> Good for but, her. I want that right. for her. <laughs> she uh she had nine kids with two different parents. Like because I never knew my biological granddad. Oh yeah. He they only had two kids together, my dad and my auntie Kim. And then she met my grandpa, the guy who I called grandpa, and they had seven more kids. Only four, including my dad and my aunt Kim, had Japanese names. Ah. The rest, you talk about colonized names. Yep. The rest all had colonized names because they just weren't treated the same if they they had the japanese name like how do you even say it right yeah yeah so yeah from amy to stewart to julia the uncle lee who who passed away in 1976 the year you were born right uh 77 <laughs> it sounds like your dad passed no my, my uncle lee passed in 1976 he was only 21 dad dad passed away at 77 age of 77 oh i see yep that makes sense yeah oh i'm sorry to hear your uncle died at 21 what happened uh that was a suicide oh so you never know what poor uncle lee went through sure like he was born in 57 my older brother was born in 63 wow so they weren't that far apart in age no so I can imagine it was total racism that drove Uncle Lee to, to walk into Kootenai Lake and just never come back out. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. You know, I was just reading about a black academic in the States that had committed suicide and she had outright said it was, you know, uh, the bullying that she was enduring at the university. So there's a hashtag to try to you know honor her and i i yeah. shared it but yeah i don't yeah i don't think people will the algorithms aren't always set so that people will see and understand these things and to me like uh trc called us out a call to action 57 is about public servants having anti-racism training so to me um having you here and talking about um the racism that the japanese canadians have experienced here it's important to talk about all forms of racism that are in Canada and the sooner we educate everybody, the better. So like your uncle, for example, you know, as somebody who has passed away due to bullying and racism and harassment, like just like uh, folks who are trans commit suicide because of, you know, the bullying um, on top of, you know, body dysphoria, lack of health, like barriers when it comes to healthcare. Um, 
so much of this. It's, I, I just don't understand when people like we have an imposed Christian agenda and in their stupid Christian agenda book, it says like, you know, be nice to your neighbors. And I've never seen Christianity mm-hmm. in Canada. Never. I, I have seen ugly, just racist crap and policies designed to be racist and mean spirited towards anyone who's not white. So I don't know why um, people claim to be Christian. Like it, I, I tell people, you know, that they brought the devil here because that that's some made up farcical crap that comes here with their Bible. And all I've ever seen is evil from these people, evil, evil, um, whether they're bullying, you know, racialized people, QT BIPOC, it's just like, it, it's like their mantra. And I, so I don't understand it at all. And, um, and I'm tired of people trying to defend it because it's like all it's brought is white nationalism here. And, and that's, that's disgusting. It's just gross. And it, it festers. You see uh, what they're doing out in Toronto. If you're brown, they're um, harassing you, arresting you, throwing you in jail. Um, here, same thing. It, it's just, ugh, I, I'll never understand this, this hate to anyone who's not, not white enough you know nationalist enough my mom first realized that in provost alberta (laughs) (laughs) okay i don't want to go there let alone her no she's brave well dad was transferred there by ufa ah um when i was about two 69 to 71 we lived in provost And her first experience, she was walking my older siblings to school and I was being pushed in a carriage. Someone came up to her and asked her where she got the China babies. And she said, these are my babies. (laughs) But that was just the beginning because we actually had dead rabbits left on our, our car in provost my mom seems to block that out but her younger sister who was living with us then she remembers it very well my older siblings remember it very well i don't really i was too baby yeah yeah (laughs) but i'm gonna go with what my aunt was saying she was like a a hippie kid she has an indigenous grandchildren actually in the sunshine coast cool um but yeah that when i found out in my later years about that i just that's what i mean about their stupid christianity yeah what the fuck what is wrong with you people you know like and that's what i mean like you, you just see this collective hate and they're always like Oh, don't brand a song because one person did, but they do it all the time to every other group of people. They do all the time, and and it's like okay, well, at a certain point, when do you take any responsibility for this hate that you impose? And you know, I grew up in Sylvan Lake. At the time, there was only like two thousand people, but there were like eight different Christian churches, and they all hated each other. They all hated each other for being the wrong domination. And I was just like, what is wrong with you people? Like, this is supposed to be your stupid religion. And the Catholics can't hang out with the Protestants and the Protestants can't hang out with the Mormons and the Mormons hate the Jehovah's and the Jehovah's hate, you know, like, and it's like, what the hell is wrong with you all? Like, so this concept of like Jesus teachings, like they just crack me right up. Literally Bethlehem said, can you guys not celebrate Christmas this year? Because we sure ain't. And everybody's like, screw Bethlehem Christian churches. What do they know about Christmas? <laughs> you know, Provost is well known for their KKK, especially back in the early 70s. Oh, yeah. And if you look at the outfits the KKK were wearing. Terrorism. They, they, they kind of remind you of Catholic outfits do they not a hundred percent a hundred percent i know i don't know how white people don't see this like i I, you have to be willfully like stupid to not 
see this and and that's what I can't understand like you know right now they're calling anyone who's brown who's pro-Palestinian a terrorist in this country Harper called all natives terrorists you know Kenny is comes from that Pierre Paulvier comes from that so I just don't like I I don't understand how it they are doing so well in the polls and people are like yeah we like uh conservatives and it's like you really are just telling us you hate people in general and you don't care what they're going to do. You've seen what they did when they were in charge and now you want to go back to that. And and that's what makes me so sad is like the sickness of what's freedom in Canada. Like ugh, they're so dumb. I don't know. Even our multi-party system is not really working. In Canada, no. Is it? No. Well, first of all, it's a British colonial system, a Westminster system imposed mm-hmm. on these lands. So, mm-hmm. like, how can we talk about we care about UNDRIP when we don't have 50% of the governance structure? A minimum. Like, we should be in charge of it, as far as I'm concerned, and let settlers just kind of work within our systems. And nobody wants to have those conversations. Nobody. But yet are like, we literally got an emergency alert last night saying our power... Uh, system is failing and it's like we are in a climate change Alberta part of northern Alberta is on fire right now as we speak yeah yeah this it doesn't make any sense uh settler colonial consumer capitalism it doesn't make any sense to me and I how people willfully look away from all of this and the racism I'll never or I I just I don't respect it at all (laughs) Well, if they had to start doing blackouts, they should have hit rural Alberta first. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting? I was reading a tweet to my husband and somebody tweeted out that, uh, you know, in case you want to know, they think rural Alberta thinks this is a big conspiracy and everybody wants to give the middle finger to Trudeau so are turning on more things. I'm like, what logical sense does that make? Yeah. Like, I, I, I will never understand this ridiculousness that people will go through to to try to own a lib to try to own trudeau it's like you know what he don't care he's not gonna care that you know farmer betsy in provost alberta who normally wears kkk uh garb on on sundays like they're he doesn't care that she's gonna turn on her stove a little extra tonight you know like i i just can't wrap my head around this stuff I can't wrap her. And these are my neighbors. These are the people who surround me and, uh, you know, put up their proudly conservative rhetoric on their, on their vehicles and their anti-Trudeau stuff on their vehicles. Like it's gross. Yeah. <laughs> it leaves me speechless. The, yeah. the way that. Well, and, and there was a tweet from Scott Moe. It seems like this was quite coordinated. So for folks who are listening, basically what happened was that there was two natural gas plants that shut down for whatever reason. And uh, Scott Moe then gave some of his electricity to Alberta, which I know he'll charge us an arm and a leg for. And uh, so they, they had it all coordinated in some way, some capacity. And I, I think what they're really trying to do, um, oh, and I, you may not know this, John, but my husband used to work at a place that did methane emission reductions. And in August, when Daniel Smith made that uh, announcement against all green energy products, his sales at that company just went, just plummeted. And uh, he lost his job at the beginning of November, which made a really awful Christmas for us anyway, in the sense that, you know, they have that instability, that that feeling in your gut (laughs) until you get that job. And of course, uh, for whatever reason, EI is such a jerk. So it's just easier to get another job. Um, The T4 worked last time it didn't uh, because they had to get the company to redo it. So like. I don't know how people survive three months without a wage, but that's what the government expects of you. So that's what happened in our case the last time he lost his job. This time, at least the T4 was good. And he ended up uh, not getting a pin right once and that we never ended up qualifying for EI. So like, like I try to keep telling my daughter, you've got to go union because if you're non-union, you got to spend 40 hours on a phone call with Service Canada 
with people who are like committed to not helping you anyway. I don't know why people think we get services in Canada. We don't. So anyway, he got a second job um, and, and started in December. So uh, it just, it worked out for, for us so to be okay. But I mean, it was, it, it's so stressful being in between jobs. It's so stressful. Yeah. So that sucked. Um, anyway, so we're, we're not going with renewables. And I know there's a big push from the conservatives federally, as well as provincially to start having, they don't want to call it nuclear power, but they call them small module reactors. And it's like, they want to go nuclear in, in Alberta. And sadly, a lot of uh, so-called progressives, colonial progressives are on board with that because um, they're really naive and they're okay usually with First Nations getting nuclear waste and not having clean drinking water. So um, a lot of the so-called progressives are like, yeah, nuclear is the best. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, I, I don't know how you can think that, but you know, you, you believe that. And I mean, like for us, uh, and we're Satu Deni and up North was, uh, the uranium, um, the first digging for the Manhattan project and all of the men died and there was never proper, you know, uh, disposing of that nuclear waste anyway. So, You know, it's Canada's dirty little secret that nobody cares about. And that's why I was born in Calgary, because we were relocated to Fort Providence, Yellowknife. And then my mom came down here to Sate and had me. It was an accident. And, uh, you know, that's how I ended up here. And if I go to Yellowknife, the water's dirty. If I go to Satu country, you know, I, I, I don't know what kind of you know, economic world there is there, but I can't imagine too many folks are living off the land. I mean, I've read that all of our Satu dogs were murdered, right? So I, by the government. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, our ways of life are completely destroyed. Thanks a lot. Um, now, my understanding is a lot of our folks up there still have their language and are doing, um, you know, traditional living to some extent, but, you know, I just, I know it's not the same, the caribou uh, are not going into the north like they used to because of the oil sands that are here that they want to put a nuclear reactor there in order to fuel the oil sands so you know this world is so messed up right now that you know they're okay with us I, I turned off my my van for the night so I did turn it on uh, about an hour ago so I'm going to give it a start after the podcast and see if it'll run um, you know because it's like minus 32 and then add the wind and it's cold it's cold here and today's the last day it sounds like tomorrow's supposed to warm up all the way to minus 17 or something (laughs) minus 17 is gonna feel like amazing after this (laughs) (laughs) was there anything else you'd like to add john to your your story about uh japanese and term count or uh the Japanese experience in, in Vancouver? Um, I don't think there's much to add about Vancouver. It's people can go online and look for themselves because I don't know anything about the internment camps and what actually went on there. There is, there is a book that is uh, published that's only sold in one of the, one of the little towns that had, had one but i i would really like to talk to somebody that had ancestors i don't imagine there's too many people around my auntie ken is still around and my the rest well most of my dad's siblings but it would have been my auntie ken and my aunt may that and my uncle tuck really that got the brunt of all of the the farm life that they were forced but I can't imagine what the others went through that had to go to the interior of BC and live in the camps, how they were treated. I would imagine they were pretty much tried to be colonized as well. Because 
the Japanese community in Vancouver was such a tight knit little community that they basically just went about their own business and didn't try to bother anybody. They had been there for generations already by the time they were being relocated, besides the women, of course, because it was all arranged, arranged marriages like my grandmother. Even though she was so stubborn, she got a divorce in the 50s. <laughs> after, <laughs> well, after she had already started having family with the guy I called grandpa. Um, I just want to touch on the racism that still goes on. Like, as of up, as recent as two years ago, I was told to go back to where I came from. It's like, where foothills hospital is that that's where i came from <laughs> you know they blew up the hospital that i was born at <laughs> right that was ralph klein too <laughs> <laughs> yeah um there is something i want to touch on though before i do go um my mom was born in 41 in London, England. And so I resonate what's going on in Palestine right now with a combination of my two parents. She was, from the time she was born till the time just like when the war ended, she was hiding from Nazi bombs in London just like the kids in Palestine are doing with the Zionist bombs in the, in the Gaza Strip. So between my dad and, well, more his neighbors going into internment camps, because that's all the Gaza Strip is really, is one gigantic internment camp. Yeah. And they're needing to hide from bombs on a daily basis so the combination of what my parents went through it's what the people of gaza are going through like times a million it doesn't even compare really to what their those folks are going through but isn't it amazing how uh, racialized people really have empathy and understanding for other people going through bombings and genocide more than obviously people who should care. <laughs> right. Yeah. And what? the fact that we're, our nation, our nation, our country is funding and building weaponry for to support what's going on over there. It's It's got to stop. And I don't know how much more the people around the world can, like, the weekly marches and hundreds of thousands of people in major cities. I wish our city could get on board a little more and get a little more support than what I've seen on a weekly basis. Like, we saw yesterday was, I know it was indoors yesterday, but. The other marches, our numbers pale in comparison to those of Ottawa or Toronto or Montreal. Yeah. Not to mention London or yeah. New York, where they're shutting down Times Square. That that occupation has to end in the Middle East. And it's it's heartbreaking to see how many kids are dying daily and now they're going to go into Beirut probably and in Lebanon and Yemen in fact US and UK have started on Yemen and Canada actually yeah, yeah we're part of that um I think of I have a friend on a ship and I worry about them now because uh yeah they're gonna get pulled into this and it is what it is. I, uh, I, I don't understand this world at all. But I'm, I'm not pro capitalism. I'm not pro consumerism, you know. And and that's what it is. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, it's about protecting somebody's uh, stock prices. It's not about 
morals, ethics, you know, um, I'm really saddened to people being like, well, our Jewish community doesn't feel safe. And I'm like, well, first of all, welcome. That's how indigenous people feel in Canada. Um, racialized people in general feel, uh, but also that bigger picture is that why don't you feel safe? Like it, people who are Muslim are like legitimately being murdered, but yeah. not Jewish people. So I don't know. It's like a the biggest case of white fragility I've ever seen where like we have a literal genocide. We have a little, I, the most horrific um, image that I had witnessed was this little one literally scooping up a person and you couldn't make out what that person was at all it was just pieces of them and or the one that died giving her sister oxygen she right the oxygen mask right to her sister's space right oh she passed away yeah those were those are are things that no no one should see no one should experience but everyone should have to watch that i remember when Stephen Harper uh, had denied some some Syrians coming to uh, Canada, I remember seeing that Syrian baby washed up on the shore, and that seemed to be the picture, the impetus to him to lose the election. But also, you know, it's like, no, we got to bring in refugees, and um, not the same humanity for Palestinians. They they use uh, the Media uses words like terrorism and Hamas. They just, just have dehumanized Palestinians. And no kid should have to go through this, none. And, but I'm going to be honest, it's the playbook for what Britain has done to Canada, in so-called Canada, to Indigenous people. And yet everybody's okay with that too. And they're okay with that constant genocide. Uh, last night there were uh, people that were, supposed to have places to go but they didn't so they were camped outside of those places they were supposed to go after the police had teared down their encampment like this world does not make any sense at all like white supremacy and hate towards people of color like it's so in your face and yet somehow white canadians have just figured out how to like you know do backflips to not notice it they wonder why 9-11 happened it's quite obvious yeah when you look at that history of, of afghanistan for sure yeah yeah anything else you'd like to add john about uh today's episode no i i wouldn't know what else to add i, I mean we could probably go on and on and on but Okay, I just wanted to uh, wrap up by saying uh, Mark uh, Sakamoto, he is a fellow that was down in Lethbridge and his family, um, his son as well, they've wrote books about these experiences. I have one that I have not read. It is sitting on my shelf waiting to be read. And I, I did pick up at Ferris Fair a book on the Japanese and term camps for folks. There's at least one book that's uh, there. And the last thing I'll share is that when we went to um, BC, there, right in the interior, there, there was a hotel that was trans, uh, transformed into a Japanese interned camp, and the hot springs are right there. And uh, and now the hot springs are owned by the local nation there, an Indigenous nation there. So, um, you know, in the interior of BC, there's lots of of res of uh, I don't know, ghosts of that, but uh, not a lot of conversation of that going into our education system. And I remember out of Banff, which is its own hot mess of a national park being taken away from Indigenous people, they put an intern camp right there as well, Japanese intern camp. And then they transformed it into an army cadet camp. And now it's completely taken out altogether. So, um, it, which is really interesting because it's like, uh, a huge part of our history that we don't want to acknowledge there's not even a plaque there to acknowledge any of that so uh for someone like myself i have to really go out of my way to educate people on that and i'm sad about it as well i know that uh the first world war the great war there was like 
um, Ukrainian intern camps in Canada too. So we don't talk about that much considering we're on a, what, our third wave of Ukrainians coming to Canada right now. And that, oh, and that's the other thing. In Ukraine, they're allowed to stay here as long as they want and go back. But with Gazans, I think there's only a thousand uh, visas they're going to issue. And whoever has the uh, family member that's here, they have to pay for everything. Like they are financially obligated to take care of, the, of whoever comes over here. So these stipulations and the limits, another example of like clear racism, avoid supremacy against. Yeah. Uh, the Israelis are being funded if they need to get out of Israel to come to Canada. Actually, I have been forwarded an email and I can forward it to you too. And it shows Israel is actually having a uh, wicked discount vacations right now. <laughs> they're, they're trying to really sell Israel to people. Yeah. No, it, it, they call them birthright tri trips. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So well, Komodo, he, I believe he just had a play written. Yeah. Yeah. My, probably based my, off his book. Yeah, most of his family, most of my family went and saw it at Theatre Calgary, and they were very impressed. In fact, one of my aunt's in-laws had a painting and was featured outside of the uh, lobby. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, I was shocked when I went down to Lethbridge to see this beautiful Japanese garden that they have in the middle of their city centre. So, like, that history is there, and I know uh, just as... Japanese Canadians were forced to work the sugar beets. So were Indigenous kids at the residential schools. Um, it, it's just gross, the history here in Southern Alberta of racism. So I really appreciate you coming on and highlighting it. Thanks, John. Oh, my pleasure. Wonderful. All right. Well, I am going to do my exit now. Um, it's uh, has a lot of the resources that I give. So if you hear of resources to give to folks who of Japanese descent, I'd love to add them. No question. I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and included cultural safety training and cultural first aid in all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, those with disabilities, and 2SLGBTQ to speak. According to the 2023 Quality of Life Report from the Calgary Foundation, 88% of racialized Calgarians feel uncomfortable or out of place because of their religion, ethnicity, skin color, culture, language, accent, gender, or sexual orientation, which is up from 75% in 2022. I would be really curious now after what has happened in Palestine, um, that number jumped from 75 to 88 to what? <laughs> uh, 84% of racialized Calgarians believe that racism exists and 66% of non-racialized Calgarians do. Thank you to authors Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fritkin of heretohelp.bc.ca for creating What is Indigenous Cultural Safety and Why I Should Care About It? Their work are those cultural action tools, so please support Indigenous work like that as part of your reconciliation and settler understanding. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat it here. Internalized racism and lateral violence is another form of violence that marginalized folks experience in the structure of racism and oppression dynamics imposed on these lands. If you go to racialequitytools.org, uh, they have tons of resource files, and I strongly recommend supporting Donna Bevan's work. Uh, yesterday at the Palestinian rally, I actually gave out uh, four more resources on all my social media, including the racial equity tools, including the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation, um, the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women National Inquiry Report, and the Yellowhead Institution. And I did that because people are still unaware and asking questions about how to talk about reconciliation, knowing they're not listening to my podcast <laughs> or coming to my book club or being a part of the Reconciliation Action Group. Um, 
do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee has some wonderful um, ideas of how to help somebody say on a C train or whichever when you know they're experiencing racism. I wish anyone that follows me on my social media would watch the city of Calgary's anti-racism organizational lead giving an internal ARAC committee presentation on the journey of becoming an anti-racism leader. So that's on YouTube, really easy to click. And I wish all Calgarians seen themselves as working hard on anti-racism so that they can identify as a leader in that. Today will be the second weekend that Taylor McNally was forced to go to jail. And this afternoon, there is yet another protest about her coming out. There was one of the Stop the Stack YYC activists at that Palestinian event that we were at yesterday and spoke very eloquently of how they like to have both uh, Friday afternoons and Sunday afternoons so that they can visually see that Taylor went in looking one way and came out looking the same as opposed to being beaten up. Uh, Adora Nufur, another Black activist here in Calgary, also being legally targeted. So please uh, donate to them if you can. Indigenous people have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with Gender Equity Plus, if they are cutting violence prevention programs, services, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts equity-seeking people, equity-deserving people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to actions, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention programs, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit. Provincially in Alberta, Kenny created 113 pathways to justice. So all you blue voters should be holding your MLAs to account on it. Follow the Premier's Council on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls' Work. They haven't been very active. Uh, municipally, we have the White Goose Flying Report. Denying all of these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in every single institution with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand changes from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties or local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs. Google articles on how to become uh, allies to, non uh, to Indigenous people. So if you literally Google how non-Indigenous Canadians become allies, there are actually multiple links to that now. Uh, Stephanie and Harp and I were talking last year at this time, trying to reach our allies to talk about the houseless crisis that we were facing at that time. It was very similar, very cold. And uh, reports came out that showed we had a uh, huge spike in amputations as well as deaths. And that's thanks to the complacency of the average Calgarian. Uh, right now, as we speak in Edmonton, they have dismantled encampments. Uh, they arrested Brandy Morin, our local Indigenous reporter, for trying to cover it, as well as uh, Elder Roy Cardinal, who is trying to give cultural supports because the government of Alberta sure isn't, to folks who are uh, unhoused. So they destroyed all of their encampments. And then they said, oh my God, there's so many places to stay at shelters. And last night, the Bear Clan up there released a bunch of videos to show that people were camping outside the shelters that they were turned away from while we were having a power outage. Um, you know, it, this is, is well documented about the amount of people dying from overdose as well. These numbers are just climbing. Obviously, our previous guest, Ewan Thompson, has been on talking about this and sharing information on his Twitter about the actual deaths. So if you or someone you know is using substances, please do not use alone. If you are using alone, contact the National Overdose Response Service at 
N-O-R-S for support or download the Brave or Doors app. There's also a Lifeguard app for those in BC. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today and need to talk, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 855-242-3310. It is toll-free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also text at hopeforwellness.ca. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit, for immediate emotional assistance, you can call 844-413-6649. It is a national toll-free 24-7 crisis call line supporting anyone who requires emotional assistance related to the issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Uh, the 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta, you can find at ssisa.ca. Uh, the Indian Residential School Survivor and Family Hotline is 866-925-4419. The Native Youth Crisis Hotline is 877-209-1266. For non-Indigenous, there are distress center lines in your area, usually a functioning 211. They now have a new national number of 988, or you can call 833 833- 4564566 or text at 45645. They also have crisis services canada.ca and the kids help phone 188 or sorry 1800 668 6868. Following our two SLGBTQ crisis supports available in most areas of Canada. Uh, if you go to lifevoice.ca, there's tons of different uh, supports for you. The Trans Lifeline is 877-330-6366. And the Trevor Project for Youth is 866-844-7386. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. It is self-care, how I take my power back, how we have media representation. Um, I just wanted to say a shout out to the Marvel Echo. I watched it last night. My uh, child really loved it. I loved it. It was a lot of fun to watch. And uh, I, I just am really happy for the next generation because they have, you know, reservation dogs, Rutherford Falls. They have uh, Echo, like this it was really good. Prey was so good. I, I am so happy that we are starting to get uh, media representation in at least the entertainment world. Is it historically accurate? No, not always, but at least it's fun to see us properly represented out on, on screen now. And uh, you got to watch Cantu Cardinal. You'd be the grandma. There was some amazing memes that are going to go around from this i i just hope that people watch it it's worth it it's only five episodes about 35 minutes each so it's a you know three hour commitment and you can watch it all and and we'd love to get those numbers up so um but when it comes to media representation obviously in the mainstream we're not being represented so i think it's important to have some sort of weekly conversation about what's happening from my point of view with an indigenous lens because we're just not seeing it out there but i do encourage folks to follow windspeaker they're a great local indigenous news outlet that uh that does tell an indigenous point of view anyway this is why i started the podcast to speak freely without interruption tone police leadership shaming gaslighting questions as many people don't want to hear indigenous opinions but they sure like to tell us theirs even if they know nothing about us colonialism constant surveillance of our people protests vigils and rights i and many others share microaggressions daily how it's unacceptable to say them anymore our own government calls us terrorists for god's sakes learn about being trauma informed um, folks like me are dealing with internalized racism and gatekeeping Uh, Folks that survive off the status quo, folks who are really in their trauma, and they stop people from being able to do the work and deplete personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for me, Indigenous peoples, folks with disabilities, QT, BIPOC, and others. I want to say Masicho to my ancestors, to my granny now in heaven, my mom of what strength looks like through her example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me her Austrian culture and family and roots and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It's through her. I'm a second generation Calgarian. Uh, To my husband, Darcy, 
he produces and ed- edits the show on top of being my husband he's been a childhood friend a father of our child my support down the journey of the red road he has witnessed decades of racism and sexism and to our child <laughs> we are blessed to learn from you daily we are so honored you chose us you give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person i just share a really quick story my daughter uh has friends that follow me on social media and erica eiffel had shared this ridiculous picture of six cats and somebody had taken the black and white and basically typed out the n-word on it and they were like your mom just shared this and she laughed and said yeah that's just it and it's like i wonder how many people understand i'm trying to educate you on racism in canada and erica eiffel who was targeted last year by the right-wing conservatives along with uh, rachel gilmore and uh, one other uh reporter you know like that that uh racist sexism bam right there that's why uh what their work is is so important and we can learn from it if we're choosing to do that anyway i hope that my daughter my family will be proud in the future of us discussing these present day issues as they understand as well um my patreon account is native calgarian where you can pledge and support i don't do clickbait i'm pretty sure most of you understand that i don't try to make money i i do it because we need media representation. So I do want to say thank you to my donors who have showed your support, who value listening and watching, and were able to give. For those who cannot give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments or questions. I also have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. We'd love to see you at the book club. Um, if you follow me, obviously you heard our last one, Lessons in Legitimacy by Sean Carlton. So if you miss our book club because you can't join us, that's fine. But that bigger picture is that can you commit to every second Monday of the month and come and join us? Uh, the next one for February is going to be about uh, abolishing police in Canada. So we'd love to have you join us for that, or at least invite you to read along and you can send in your comments at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Also subscribe and you can go to nativecalgarian.com if you're interested in having me come and talk to maybe you, your school, your company, whichever. And I want to end by giving side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not your dish. And my beautiful cousin responded, are you being my dish? Thank you folks for watching and listening and, and supporting my podcast. I appreciate it.